Hello and welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast, our very first for 2017. I'm the SBS Cycling Managing Editor, Philip Gomes, and we have a lot to catch up on while we were away, including a, the suite of Australian races from the 1st of January to the 5th of February. It's been a long and actually incredible six weeks. With me to kick off 2017 are cycling journalist Anthony Tan, Jamie Finch-Penninger, and ride cycling supremo Rob Arnold. Gentlemen, welcome to a new year, which already feels like a whole year has gone by given recent world events. Anthony. Yeah, it almost feels that we've had an entire cycling season, but it's all in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I'm sort of knackered. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, Rob, uh, I refer to you as a supremo. Is that a is that a a good title, or would you prefer something more exultant? No, I think you know. I I take um, I take that as a great compliment. I've been around a while. I've got a little bit of nasal on account of a little bit of a head cold. Does that sort of lower my status as from supremo to? It shows that you're fallible. Publisher, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's human. Any news with uh, with your publication? Uh, we're working on finishing an issue this month. It's uh, been a busy, busy time, but we just had to, um, in December, just sort of take a bit of a breath and go and ride our bikes. So went to Canberra and, and hit Stromlo time and time and time again or over Christmas and then went down to Threadbow and got really muddy on the mountain bike and I've been then lots of road cycling, a bit of track cycling last night with my, my kids. And uh, so... I think I'm finding the love for cycling by cycling. Strange that. Now, I saw something interesting on uh, on Twitter, or it might have been on Twitter during the TDU. You've you've involved in some sort of a uh, agreement or partnership or with ah, Peloton magazine the Peloton in the magazine. US. No, what is well, that all about? We, um, I met at the Tour de France, the publisher of Peloton. It's an American magazine. And uh, we he's an independent publisher and I'm an independent publisher and he's got his market and I've got my market. So we said, let's... Um, Let's have a little collab. Mm. And uh, so they came out to tour down under and we shot some team bikes together. Had a rip-roaring time, realised that we actually quite like one another. Uh, he's got a good magazine, I've got a good magazine. So I tell myself, so I tell your listeners. And uh, we'll see what comes. It's pretty informal at this moment. Okay, so you guys are dating? Kind of holding hands. All yeah, right, okay. Yeah, All right. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, keep us posted when you get the third base. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. All right. <laughs> Jamie, you had a busy January. Yeah, very busy. I was on the road um, since New Year's Eve and uh, did did all the Australian summer racing. Uh, summer of cycling, are we calling it, I think? Anyway, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag. Yeah, well, we, we, we need to get some more branding onto cycling to really get that whole season because it, it feels a bit segmented at the moment, I'll, I will say. That's probably what I've taken away from it. Um, you go to one race and it's a very different feel from the next race, like Bay Crits is a very different feel to Nationals and then TDU obviously dominates the whole the whole summer landscape and then you go to a race like the Herald Sun Tour where you've got the uh, Aussie locals going up against the massive names of the peloton like Chris Room and Esteban Chavez and it's a, a different feel again and you're going around country Victoria and seeing... Where, where was that town we were in? Tangalanga, Bangalanga, Tangalanga. Yeah, Tangambalanga, I think. Was, <laughs> oh, yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah. was possibly a bit more accurate. But, yeah, um, you know, you end up in a small one-street town like that and they see the bike race go past and it's very different from, you know, all the hype and um, glamour of the TDU. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of my summer where we went into the general store and one girl had got employee of the month five months in a row. But she was the only employee. That's right. Right. But God, we laughed, didn't we? It was so funny. <laughs> um, I threw out a quick uh, Twitter poll on today's t- topics uh, asking what we should talk oh, cool. about. Uh, one was the summer of cycling. The other one was hidden motors and bikes. Oh, God. Uh, Peloton punch-ups and lunch. And uh, and that audience overwhelmingly said that the summer of cycling uh, was uh, should be our main topic with Dan Donahue suggesting some discussion about the youngsters, which, of course, we will definitely do, because I think it was significant for that. Which youngsters? Uh, just the Aussie youngsters, General. yeah, who mm-hmm. performed well right through the through the Australian summer cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, only 17% of us wanted to talk about what we're going to have for lunch, because that's a big thing for me every day, you know, that's that's a focal point. Oh, yeah. What am I going to have for lunch? Chicken chili roll. 
Uh, yeah. Every time. Really? Vietnamese oh. chicken chili roll. Uh, More uh, any, chili, please. Any for Actually, for that's, that's what my wife says. She When she walks out the door every morning, she says, think about what you want to have for dinner. <laughs> so she's got her one-track mind. Is this how we treat polls? We um, go through and disrespect the um, audience and just say, yeah, okay, well, we'll talk about it anyway. Yeah, well, that's no, right. No, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the banter yeah. in this advance the, of the yeah. actual yeah. discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm. Encouragingly, though, only 10% of us wanted to talk about the uh, hidden motors, which really is... Woo-hoo. Look, my personal opinion about hidden motors is this is a giant beat up. A lot of people are wasting a lot of oxygen. Yes, the technology exists, but I think there's just more more words written on that than are worth. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So lunch yeah. trumped uh, <laughs> hidden motors. Yes, that's right. Wow, but okay. 20% uh, uh, only said that they wanted to uh, talk about punch ups in the peloton. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, so so some are recycling. It is. Let's go. That's right. Okay, so I mean, really, what that point says, we have a, a Over to broadly you, sensible audience, <laughs> and, uh, but we'll be back uh, in a tick to talk about uh, the summer of cycling music. New music, I love it. <laughs> ah, so good. <laughs> it's like a whole new year. That's right. Yeah. Um, in well, February. So it's been uh, it's been a big month for cycling in Australia with the Bay Crits, Road Nats, Tour Down Under, Cadell Evans Road Race. And finally, the Herald Sun Tour, which uh, hogged all the, our attention uh, over that uh, January, early February period. Interestingly, all of the Her- all but the Herald Sun Tour showcased uh, the women alongside the men, which was, uh, I thought, a really good result for equity in the sport. Um, and most of it was broadcast as well. We tried to broadcast uh, as much as possible. There was a broadcast SPS. revolution, I, I heard. Uh, slightly, It yeah. began on the second day of the year or maybe the first it day of the year. It began on the first day of the year with SPS when <laughs> we streamed every edition of the uh, Bay Crits live on Facebook. And then we also did the Road Nationals live on uh, – Road Nationals Criterium live mm. on Facebook. Technically, the Criteriums are much easier to broadcast because they're just in that, in that circuit, so it's okay. easier to position cameras, et cetera. Yeah. Road's a whole different story. It's something we'd love to do later on down the line. And then we also did – the prologue for the Jayco Herald Sun Tour again. That uh-huh. uh, that was quick and easy because short two point one kilometer course. You know, you can just show the start, the finish, and yeah, Bob's right. your uncle. So we got to see a lot of cycling on on uh, on Australian television over January and also on the web. So oh, I'm enjoying the broadcasting television, on television. Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't actually use Facebook that much, but I, I enjoy just watching the commentary as the stream, as it were. It's almost it almost overwhelms uh, the actual pictures in a, in a way because there's just so much uh, Conversation. commentary hap- mm. happening, and so you don't really have time to uh, have a response, you know, response to anyone because it's just it's it's going nuts, you know, I, that ticker. I mm. thought you were the quick wit. Oh no, I don't. I no. wouldn't say slow wit. Yeah, slow wit fighters. Dumb wit. Tom might even say some other type of wit, but Tomo threw in a. You know, he he started trolling a little bit on some of the uh, some of the uh, of the events. You know, Michael Tomalaris. Yeah, yeah. Started. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. started <laughs> the real one or the ago. fake one? Right, uh, the real one. The real yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, okay. the real one. He's uh, he's a pretty good troll. Okay. Um, but uh, any observations like from you? Broad observations, Anthony, on on. On the entire summer, uh, I would feel that there's almost this growing enthusiasm towards women's cycling. It feels that uh, it's yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I know it's completely un- unrelated, but when you saw those crowds line up the stadium for the women's AFL matches, you just feel that there's something going on here, and uh, hopefully, it will. Um, I guess translate to cycling as well, but I think for cycling, until you have, uh, I, I know it's until you have a basically a, a multi-day women's Tour de France, uh, I, I think that will then filter down. Like it almost needs to come from the top to the bottom rather than from the bottom to the top. Well, it's um, worth mentioning. I mean, you mentioned at the top of the this segment that um, all the. All the major tours have women's components to, to them um, during the summer, um, and the Herald Sun tour is talking about um, adding a women's tour to go alongside the men's. So, yeah, I think it's it's taking it's taking big steps. There was a lot made of lack of coverage in certain events, like like the nationals um, um, in that morning road race and at the TDU. But I think it's taking it's taking leaps forward from where it was previously, and I think we are seeing a lot more respect for the for the women in general. 
Um, of course, there's going to be that disparity between the men's, but it's, you know, it's catching up, I think, at the moment. Hmm. What's my take home? I don't know if I've got a take home. You're looking at me like I should have an answer. I'm expectant. I don't know. I have to. Be, I just get talking, and we'll, talk, we'll let's go event by event, and we can throw something okay. in if that's. Jake cool. O'Hara Suntour. Let's start there because I, that was the beginning. I have a story to tell. That was I've the been ending. covering cycling since 1990. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh. Yeah, Baycrits. 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 Yes. Yeah, sorry. Can I? I'll just uh, go start at the back. Okay. <laughs> I've been doing cycling since 1990, if anyone's interested in Rob Arnold's history. And I've never done the Herald Sun Tour until this year. And I went for three days and I had an absolute ball. And I think that they should, uh, the organisers should be uh, given a round of applause for the terrain that they took the riders to and also the proximity and so far that the the opening day in Melbourne was fantastic. Great atmosphere uh, in in the absolute centre of the city. And then to go off and, and discover Falls Creek and all of the surrounds there was wonderful on the Thursday a week ago. And then we saw Mount Beauty and uh, Beechworth and other places like that on Friday. It was, it was outstanding. And then I got on the train in Wangaratta and went back to Melbourne. I'll ask you this. Was uh, Jacob Harrelson Tour the best racing of the Australian summer? Yes. No. Nationals was the best. Well. Mm. Yeah, it was. Those, those road races were absolutely yeah, superb. Okay, I, yeah. I don't yeah. think I've seen any better. Uh, all of them, the under-23s, the women's and the men's were all superb racing. But that was in January and it just feels like too long ago. (laughs) Can we do more podcasts? (laughs) Yeah, I have to say that the men's race, especially in the nationals, that kind of did it for me. I would say, yeah, Herald Sun Tour, I didn't cover it this year. I have covered maybe six or seven editions and I... I think the first one actually they did go, it was 2007 and they did go to Falls Creek and they they vary the course enough so it makes it interesting. Also, Jamie wrote a blog which was sort of my thoughts almost exactly that to make a good race you need a combination of uh, World Tour teams and Pro Conti and Continental teams. To have just all World Tour, you just saw that, uh, you know, the way the points is structured, uh, it's always going to come down to a bunch sprint. I mean, the uh, the chance of a successful breakaway, the Tour Down Under is just so slim and it I think it takes away from some of the excitement. But I know it's all this stuff about it being a tourism event. So the people who actually go there probably don't care. It's, it's more those who are watching from afar. Mm, true. I agree. Yeah. So do you want to go back to the starts after my interruption? <laughs> Should I MC this as no, well? Well, you know, we're, we're all in it together. In it together. You know, we're yeah. collective, you know. Yeah. no. I, I tried to steer the ship a little bit, but generally, you know, it's a ship yeah. of captains. Yeah, the wind or Rob more, more often takes it where it will go. I That's suppose, right. So. Okay, well, let's, let's Come start. Come on, you were at the Nationals then. Hit, hit us with um, the story of Miles Scottson. Miles, he's, he's a really nice kid and he... Uh, he's very eloquent in interviews. Um, mm. We were speaking to him after the race and I've spoken to him before for an interview and I think he surprised himself as well as everyone else with that amazing attack he did. Um, everyone at the finish line was, you know, ooing and ahhing over the over the attack of Nathan Earl first, um, who, who made, I think he probably set it up for Scotson because Durbridge had to chase that one down and then Scotson went, you know, maybe a kilometre after that mm. and caught everyone unawares and... Uh, I remember the call of Pat Shaw at the finish. He said, watch Scotson. He's hanging off the back. He's li- giving himself a little bit of a, a launch pad to um, where he was laying off them and coming from afar. So um, that was great to hear. And it really set up the atmosphere and the tension coming into the final thing. And then he sat up a bit early and everyone was like, oh, God, is he going to is he gonna miss it out? Yeah. And uh, we saw a similar thing with Stannard, actually, at the Herald Sun Tour. And I don't know how he stayed so calm because I thought he was he was done when he sat up with 50 metres to go. But yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. I have to put a little shout out to Nathan Haas. I don't have to, but I'm going to. I think he had an extraordinary summer, you know, especially if you look at the way that he raced, the three races that he targeted. So it was the National Road Race, Tour Down Under, and then um, at Cadell Evans where he was just amazing uh, to not really get the result that he wanted. But... He was the favourite for Cadell Evans' road race. Uh, he marked every move. He, he put himself in the position to win it. He was, not, he was desperate not to lose it. And, and ultimately it was, I guess, his endless energy to chase down everything and put himself up there and, and as a candidate for the win that cost him. But I, I give him a round of applause. I, just, I, I think they say you tip your hat to them. What he did was something that really lit up our household when we were watching the Nationals and... Um, 
and the Cadell Evans Road Race on the television because the kids have met Nathan. We uh, got excited about him as being a favourite. He'd talked to us about how he wanted to target these races and it gave us something to cheer about and I thought that that gave me a new dimension to cycling because usually I just cheer anyone. But... He didn't win. He didn't win, but I still we we were we were gutted for him. But it was uh, the, the emotion that it drew it, it, was great. Yeah, it's great. But you if, know, if you saw my six year old going, damn, 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 but it was so exciting. It's about money in the bank. Money in the bank. Yeah, right. And, and Nathan didn't bank the check. No, no. What's I mean, he he pretty much has put. You, you can tell he structured he structured his whole season around this top. You know, this top end of the year. That's quite obvious. So I think probably what I take away from it is how can a guy seemingly from the interviews that I read stay so still so motivated and interested in the sport after what has transpired? I mean, you, you're, you could get to the point where you'd, you'd throw it away. And for me, I, I don't know what, where he's headspace is really at but probably he, he was in quite a good mindset otherwise you wouldn't ride the races in the way that he did you're talking nathan still yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah remember on the back of Wollongo, he came second on on the queen stage of the tour down under you were there jamie when he was talking about he'd he'd realized that he'd let the opportunity to go and then he started um reminiscing about all the swim training he'd done and that he'd got he'd worked to have oh, a little sure. bit sorry more. is this harsh i was talking about earl Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought he went off we topic. Got too many, <laughs> there's too many Nathans. Yeah. yeah Nathan. No, no, we're talking specifically oh, about Huss. Huss, Huss, Huss. Yeah, oh, yeah, geez, yeah. everyone talks about him. He's, he's, he's like the you crowd. You want to start favorite. again? You want to start no, again? No. Well, Nathan, I, I know him reasonably well, but you probably, oh, you well, were look, there. And, and, and Hussey did give some great <laughs> post-race, post-race <laughs> interviews. It's our uh, first one for the year. Yeah, that's right. We have right, to bring okay. Anthony yeah, up to speed, which Mike Ryder we're talking about right now. Um. And Hassi did do uh, a particularly revealing post-race interview where he talked about... It was great. It was just phenomenal television uh, and great from his part, on his part, because he, he rationalized the whole thing about yeah. how it all happened, etc. So he gave us a little bit of perspective, and really it's a Peloton perspective on how this stuff happens. Um, but we also know that, you know, he, he, at some point he's going to have to crack one. I mean, yeah. I know he targets, yeah, yeah, he yeah. looks at Amstel Gold Race as, as a race that probably suits him. Yeah. But at some point, he can't he can't really be cashing in these chips so early. He's gotta he's gotta be a little bit more patient, don't I agree. you think? Yeah, yeah. I rode with Michael Rogers on New Year's Day, and um, who was back in, in in Australia for a little while with his family, and we were talking about different people. And Nathan came up in topic in and Simon and the same with Simon Gerrans and a couple of other people who have had January targets in recent years. And he was saying, when are these guys going to sort of realise that you know you can't do. January and do July, and I think he was also referencing Richie, who's who's done both and or has targeted both in recent years, and um, it was an interesting discussion because he was really willing them to just basically take it easy, take the Michael Matthews approach, just hold off, wait until March, you know that kind of concept, but. Um, it's it's interesting to see my take on how I observed January is that, for example, Richie last year seemed to turn up at the Tour Down under vacuum packed, like he was so lean. And this year he looked healthy. It was just a little bit different. And he, he was all over the race. He was always going to win it. As soon as Paracombe came, he smashed it. And I think he managed his um, resources better um, than he has in the past. And it probably came from the fact that he had broken his... What was it? Shoulder, collarbone, Can't collarbone. Remember. Yeah, but that was in, at the Olympics. Yeah, that was back. Yeah. And then he didn't really race since then, mm-hmm. and so he came in full of energy, full of motivation, full of like, let's get back on the bike. And I would like, I'm going. It's jumping from topic to topic, but I think that the lesson that cycling has needs to start taking is that a shorter season is going to serve the sport better. And I can get there a long way. I could talk a long time to get to that point, but that's my conclusion. Well, I'll actually extrapolate on that because we saw exactly the same thing happen at the Australian Open in oh. tennis, uh-huh. right? People were talking about that, is that uh, both uh, Federer and, um, and Nadal were injured late in the year, did almost nothing, mm-hmm. and then they came into the Oz Open super fresh. So they started talking about the, the, the general commentary in the tennis community was that a shorter off or a longer off season will be better for everyone, mm. so that more more players come into to January at the Australian Open fresher, mm-hmm. right? And it's probably beneficial to older riders as well. 
Yeah, so. I'm not sure whether I agree with Rogers saying you can't be, say, all guns blazing Rogers. in January. Roger, is that Federer? Uh, I was talking <laughs> Mick Rogers. Oh, okay, yes, right. Okay, yeah, sorry, Michael yeah. Rogers. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Robert always refers to him as a first name basis. I'm never that been that friendly with any of the bike riders. Just go Dodger. Dodger. No, go no, I don't like it's nicknames. Not a formal name. Anyway, Michael Rogers. Uh, I don't know about that. I think um, we've seen that. Well, it's like saying, can you not be good in February and July? I mean, Quintana seems to be. Uh, hitting his targets. Who, who knows? We can only really say at the end of the season, but there's been evidence, historical evidence to show that, say, you know, the, the year that Wiggins had or the year that Froome had or when Cadell won the tour, you know, he was hitting certain targets before July. So I'm not mm. sure if I completely maybe they agree all, with... Um, maybe they're getting faster together as a collective anyway. Hmm. So while Cadell won Romandy in the year that he won the Tour de France, for example... Um, uh, then he was still sort of racing the same candidate. So then maybe they were all sort of improving in form as it goes anyway. So although they're sort of head to head in January, they're, they're not at, they're not hitting their straps. Yeah, they're not at the level they are at in July. So I, I guess that's why Froome, you know, I think I, I wrote in a blog, I, I didn't think he was exceptional at Herald Sun Tour, but then he shouldn't be either. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. And that's and I spoke with James Victor about the performances of Michael Storer and Jay, uh, Jai Hindley, for example, and he was saying it's logical that they're taking on Froome because they've made this a big target. And then they get, you know, they've got a packed schedule. And I spoke to Jai yesterday about what he's got in line for 2017. And there's Baby Giro and all sorts of things on the schedule before Tour de Lavigne in the Worlds. So he's got a full schedule. But this was one of the targets. So it was, but. In terms of motivation, how good is it for a 19 or a 20-year-old to take on Froomey on his home turf and, and finish ahead of him on GC, show what he's got on the climb, have, you know, like get a taste of uh, a little bit of television, get a little bit of media, a little bit of exposure for his sport, for his um, for his for what he's got to offer. This is a kid of the future, Jai Hindley. Remember the name. He's just amazing, Jamie. Tell us more about him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jim, we've actually we've actually published a blog. We actually published a piece uh, yesterday on Jai uh, that Jamie wrote, um, which sort of went through his uh, his entire approach over the over the January period. So, yeah, and I think it's worth noting that that whole crop of under twenty three males is 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 immensely strong at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just not just Jai. It's uh, Lucas Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Storer, Callum Scottson, all those all those names which are going to be you know household names, well, at least in cycling households, um, of the future. And I think it will be a very good generation of Australian cyclists. I know you penned a blog last year, Phil, where you said, where's the next generation of winners? I think we're, no, just, no, I think we're starting no, to that's see not, That's not what it, well, yeah, oh, that, yeah. That's Yeah, it was kind of framed that way. I think a lot of people misunderstood that piece, is that I just felt we would be in for maybe a, perhaps a little bit of a lull between one generation and the next mm. group of winners. Um, but people read that. Poorly, I thought. Or maybe, no, actually, no. You know, I shouldn't blame people for reading it poorly. I should blame myself for perhaps not writing it more clearly. Well, we all start what, what topics did you, of discussion. What did you mean, anyway? Well, what I meant was is that I didn't feel that we could expect a tremendous number of Australian wins over the next couple of years while we waited for this next crop to start maturing a little bit more. And But they mature quickly these days. Look at sure Miles Scottson. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's amazing. So you can't, you can't pick that. So all of a sudden, Scottson gets a ride with BMC. Bam. He, not he only wins, the win, though, match. but does the way that he rode Tour Down Under. Like, he was a, yeah. tr- a diesel at the front, and along with Damien Housen, and mm-hmm. Damien Housen's work at Tour Down Under paid off. And, and then, of course, you know, Housen gives us an entire different look mm-hmm. at the Jake O'Hurrell Sun Tour than we've seen from him all of last year mm. and the year before. Yeah, the, so the oldest twenty-four-year-old ever. Uh, Grey hair. I mean, how does that happen? <laughs> and uh, so that blog now just looks. Just ignore it. In fact, I might just bin the whole thing. Or just update it and say, <laughs> "Oh yeah, this this is what I actually wrote." Yeah. Uh, but yeah. then I sort of I'll back you here, Phil, because you you don't know what's going to happen when they do turn professional. Okay, Miles Scottson's first race in the BMC colours was the national road race, but you just don't know when they put them in leadership positions because generally in the first two years, three years, they don't make them elite or they just let them kind of do what they want in smaller races. So 
you don't know how they're going to react to the the longer races, the pressure, all, all these sorts of factors. They might have an injury. You know, there's there's so many things that can happen between under 23 and pro and then even in neo-pro mm. years and then five, six years down the track. I mean, I remember Cameron Meyer saying, you know, he was trying to be a Grand Tour rider and he said, look, there's only... I remember after he won the Herald Sun Tour a couple of years back, he goes, look, there's only four or five guys in the world who can win Grand Tours seriously and I don't even know if I am one of them. It turns out he's not, so... With um with the young crop uh, that you guys witnessed at uh, at the Tour Down Under and Jake O'Hara Sun Tour, do you guys feel that Hindley is 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 the guy that looks most interesting? I would I was going into last season and Hindley was probably on the cusp of selection for that um, World Tour Academy team, and he really came out last year and impressed. Um, out of the, I'd say the more high-profile guys are still Lucas Hamilton, who's an amazing climber, and mm. I think is probably the highest upside. Um, and Michael Storer, um, as a first year under twenty-three last year, was an absolute beast on the bike. He's got a massive motor, and I think we'll be seeing that in classics on hills. And he's going to be, I think he's probably going to be the pick of that bunch. But they're all incredibly talented. There's such a good sort of mix, you know, and I think that's going to serve them all well. I spoke with Michael, I spoke with Jai. I think Cyrus Monk deserves a mention. He had a good showing uh, for Drapax Pats Veg on, on the final stage of, of Herald Sun Tour. And there's, uh, but he's not the pure climber. He's sort of, there's, there's a whole range of guys and that's going to serve him well because it means that they're racing hard all of the time. And that's something that Jai put in the, to me in the conversation yesterday is that we all benefit from the fact that we're going head to head regularly. We know what their strengths are. Um, as television viewers, we get every now and again a chance to see them going. And I talked about it last September when the Tour de Lavigne was on telly and we got to see that racing. And, and we, we'd sort of heard murmurs of their names, but this was the first time that we got to see them going, you know, in action. And when they're racing to La Tussuire and putting on a big show and going one, two, three, you know, if it wasn't Storer on the attack, it was um, Lucas Hamilton. And if it wasn't Lucas, then it was Jai. And, and that's something that we've not had, certainly not on climbs before. There's sort of been that standout that everyone works for but now we've got the um, the depth where there's one two three punches and it's really exciting um one of the uh, perennial discussions we have every january is the domination of a certain blue green squadra orica scott ah. the green edge crew new name right men and women through all the events really yeah um, it just seemed to me there, though, that this year, even though they converted and they won a lot of the events, it seemed like there was much more of a competitive element this time around. It seemed like the the the, the, the races were almost more closely fought. Well, certainly, and they didn't really have it their own way the whole way, even though they managed to win many of the events. Well, mm. Yeah, certainly, BMC didn't have a bad Australian season either, mm. with you know, Miles winning the winning the um, nationals, Callum Scottson winning the under twenty three time trial. And, and um, Richie. Then Richie Richie, of course, at the TDU. So mm -hmm. if they turned up at the Herald Sun, they might have won that as well. There was that guy, um, Caleb, Caleb Ewan. Yeah, who's he that guy right. again? Yeah. He did all right. I mean, that's pretty reliable, isn't it? We, we, were, we were actually, myself and Catherine, our, our, uh, our TDF uh, uh, TV producer, were talking about uh, Caleb and uh, we were met, uh, remembering that we first interviewed him when he was 15. I think you did that interview, Tanny. At the New South Wales Interstate of Sport or Dunkray Velodrome. Yeah, the Velodrome. Yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> because he won the Omnium at the Junior Worlds. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's pretty. I mean, speaking about, Rob was speaking about the versatility of three guys from the World Tour Academy, but the Caleb Ewan's, it's quite. I, I don't know where. That's why I was speculating a couple of years back. I don't know if he was a pure sprinter, but that's the path he seems to want to go down. Mm, mm. And uh, now, I know we always say, oh, what's going to happen at the, the Grand Tours? And then it was interesting, you know, you pointed out, out those comments that he made it after he won the last stage of the Tour Down Under. And uh, that came as a bit of a shock to me because there was, there was no media training there. I mean, he was pretty much speaking off the cuff, wasn't he, and saying, well, I'll probably have to leave teams. <laughs> um, and when you, you didn't do, actually say that, but no, but know, when you, I guess when you look I at that one. what went the, on, 
Oh, Caleb said afterwards, um, well... It was going to be hard for him to compete at the at the TDF, given uh, Orca Scott's mm-hmm. uh, increasing Grand Tour focus. So yeah. it's finding the kind of support he would need as a sprinter mm-hmm. to compete at the TDF. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. Think, I don't think he actually said he needs to change. No, teams, no, but... no. That's how I. That's how I read it, though. And and then if you if you saw what he said too, I mean, he made quite a legitimate argument in that he said, "Well, Orca Scott ready have three guys who can." effectively podium in the Grand Tour. So why wouldn't a team go that way? Because I hate using this word narrative, but, you know, when you have a Grand Tour, you can form a narrative. When you have a sprinter, it's just bang, he wins a stage, that's it sort of thing. So there's no – you don't have this sort of ongoing interest throughout a Grand Tour. Um, And then particularly with him, you know, they they pulled him out of the last two Grand Tours he's done, you know, after a week and a half or so. so uh, Yeah, but I think that was more that due was to design. youth and design. Oh, yeah. that's, that's why they did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm thinking he, he just, you can tell he's, he's looking at some of the other sprinters of, you know, his generation and maybe, you know, those teams already telling them, well, yeah, you can get a ride. I think someone like uh, Dylan Gronwagen from um, Lotto Jumbo, is uh, is somebody you can compare Caleb to? Well, what about right? Gaviria? I mean, he's probably and the, of course yeah. he's the preeminent. Fernando. He's really the preeminent sprinter of that generation at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to Caleb to take it up to him, I think. Um, yeah, and I'll, I hope they're going to be battling for many years to come. I think yeah. those that trio there looks like the next good young crop. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it seems that there's more space in um, Quick Step for Gaviria than there is you in it. Orica Scott, I feel there's, I, yeah. I don't. That's just my. Well, take. I mean, you got to look at the rest of their squad as well. The rest of their squads build around classics, and they can quite easily adapt to to sprint trains and leadouts. Whereas the rest of Orica Scott's team is now built around the GC for the Grand Tours. Which, yeah, my my yeah. point exactly mm. though. Mm. That's that's why they have yeah. the space to do that. And I think uh, the the off season transfer of bling from um, from Orica Scott to uh, to Sunweb. Mm-hmm. I think is also instructive. I mean, I think, uh, you know, he was looking for a team that would work around him mm-hmm. and support him fully. Yeah. Which is, it's it's a real conundrum, isn't it? Well, so. it's interesting, isn't it? So we've talked about the young climbers. We've talked about Caleb as a sprinter and, mm-hmm. and, and his predicament. And then, and also Nathan Haas. So we can put uh, Haas in the same category as Michael Matthews, in the same category as Peter Sagan. As guys who, uh, you know, basically if if they're in a race, they're going head to head. Simon Gerrans also sneaks into that picture as well, or even, let's even expand it to Michael Kwiatkowski or something. So, and they've all been medalists at the Worlds in recent years, and I can't remember, except for Nathan Haas. But that's, that's uh, so they're going head to head in a different genre really like these uphill sprints or hard man's and Greg Van Avermaet falls into that sort of category as well so they're powerhouses they're not climbers they can win on a climb if it's not too long you know different things so I don't what am I talking about oh, super versatile riders, <laughs> versatile riders. <laughs> yeah. yes. just so there's just sort of a category that's sort of forming unto themselves and just going back to what I was gibbering on about with Nathan Hass earlier that's why he hasn't won because the ones that he happens to go against in in that what suits his strengths, the terrain that suits his strengths, also suits the strengths of Michael Matthews, Peter Sagan, Simon Gerrans, those guys. So he's always just on the it, podium. It's a crowded category. Well, Valverde, Dagen Cole, the list goes on. And I think, I think, unfortunately for Nathan, he's about 10th or 12th on that list at the moment, mm-hmm. um, which is why we don't see him podium, podiuming Podiuming? Podiuming in. Sure. Achieving a podium position at um, one of those major races, as, as he said. But mm. he, he, does have, he does have the tactical nows to do so, and I think he can, he can spring a surprise, but it will need to be um, a coup. I mean, sorts. it's not the Nathan Haas show, but I'll just... Talk no. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else that we'd like to talk about? I will say, though, this, um, I don't know, what are you, obsession with Grand Tours and... Uh, doing well on GC could uh, have some consequences for Orica Scott. I feel that they're so Grand Tour focused. I'm not s- saying it's a bad thing that they've got the Yates twins or Chavez, but you know, when you've got three bona fide Grand Tour contenders, you need to support them. And it's it already 
yeah, that they need they need those guys uh, like Kreuzinger, um, you know, those some of those Spaniards who they picked up through Neil Stevens. I mean, it's it seems that you, you're not going to have room for for guys like Matthews. You know, they they won't want to ride for Erica Scott if this is the direction they're heading in. I, I don't know whether it's a a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, there's... Yeah, they've oh, got a Grand Tour direction, but they won four stages of the Tour Down Under. They won a stage of Herald Sun Tour. They took the title of the Herald Sun Tour. You know, mm. like, so they're, 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 just, they're still performing in their backyard. Yes. Like, they might, you might be saying that they're, they're putting all of their eggs in the Grand Tour basket, but that doesn't mm. mean they're not performing at other mm. junctures of the season. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's an, interesting to, it's an interesting one to watch throughout uh, 2017. I'll be interested to see how they evolve as we get deeper and deeper into the season and to see how they can, uh, they can convert. I mean, last year, you know, they did manage to pick up two classics, and that was pretty remarkable. And mm. that's not something that I would have considered a possibility, really, mm, uh, at true. the start of 2016. Mm. So, you know, that remains a distinct possibility. I mean, I look at a guy like, um, like uh, Luke Durbridge, mm-hmm. right, who, but for a flat, would probably would have been in the velodrome at Roubaix with the big hitters mm. um, and the guys who eventually uh, were on the podium. So I look at that and I think, well, you know, there's another opportunity for them to convert next year or this year. Mm. And then you've got Chavez at, uh, at uh, Giro Lombardia. So, you know, I, we knew he was going to go well, but, you know, he converted as well. So maybe Damien Housen, you know, would do something just weird that, like Liège or something like that if he was, if he was racing. I mean, he looks like that kind of rider. So, yeah, no, it's it is a team which does you know it's I won't backtrack on what I said, but it is a team that <laughs> offers riders opportunities. You you do feel that they give, um, not every single rider, but many riders opportunities. A bit like dimension data, if you like. If it's not a uh, one trick pony, like maybe Sky is perceived to be. Yeah, well, we saw that at the Herald Sun Tour where Chavez was dropping back to help out the leader house and when he had that uh, puncture on that stage two into Beechworth there. And Chavez was fifth on GC, I think, and uh, he mm. just dropped out of the peloton and went back and paced um, House and Rutt all the way back up to the front uh, and they made the catch in the last 500 metres. So mm. I think that shows the dedication which um, Oracle Scott can have to their, you know, lesser team players. I mean, uh, that's unfair to House and he's an incredible bike rider and I think he'll get better in the future. But, mm. yeah, that shows mm. you that dedication. Yeah, and you didn't see that with... Froome and... Uh, Elisond. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I didn't see it anyway. Maybe Jamie saw it, but from the television coverage, you didn't see Froome dropping back or killing himself for Elisond. Now, one of the, uh, one of the other talking points coming out from the, uh, from the Australian summer has to do with the European teams when they come to, when they come to our brown shores and how seriously they take the racing here. Um, you know, they've got to pace themselves, I suppose, and it's, it's a big climate change. You mean that big showing from FDJ? Yeah. Yeah, they you didn't know? they light it up? <laughs> <laughs> Not once. You know, but that's the point, isn't it? Is yeah. that, uh, you know, you've got these, especially the TDU, I think it affects the TDU more than it does the other races, obviously. Um, yeah. But with the TDU, uh, the race has quite a few passengers. Yeah, yeah, it's a good call. I'd agree. We, yeah, well, I know that the teams were there because we photographed all of their bikes, but uh, I, I can tell you that uh, my lesson from Bahrain Merida was that their bikes look really good. <laughs> As for the riders, I didn't see, didn't didn't even notice that they were in the bike race. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that, Rob, because Rob was shooting inanimate objects and it almost felt like uh, many of the peloton were exactly. Oh, look at that. He's a that. writer, they say. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was that guy also. It's a talking point for the summer of cycling hashtag. Hashtag summer of cycling. I don't know. How do you say it? Yeah. Uh, Peter Sagan. Did yeah. anyone notice that he was in the country for a little while? Yes, everyone okay. did. Okay. okay, so that at least... I know he's gone yeah, now, so he's, but the impact that he had yeah. was immense. So he was the one, the one European rider who kind of lit it up, but... He kind of lit it up differently. It wasn't so much in a race because obviously he he was actually terrific in the in the mm. tour down under, mm. um, but he lit it up everywhere else. You're riding around Sydney. I mean, we had Peter Sagan watch. You know, people were that just was trying crazy to get selfies. How and, Catherine bumped uh, into him in her street or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just the weirdest it? thing. So 
you know, but Sagan, I think, did did a lot from that point of view and uh, in his own inimitable way, and which I guess, you know, a lot of other writers really can't do or is not in their personality to do. Just watching him make people happy yeah. at Tour Down Under was just something to behold. It's like, next level. He, he, yeah. and, and he was absolutely in demand and he didn't give everyone, you know, like a big long diatribe, he, but he gave them... What they wanted, it was a chance to take a selfie. The same applied to Chris Froome at Herald Sun Tour. And, and you know, Esteban, people, Esteban Chavez and, as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And I think that that's a new generation of uh, maybe cycling, dip, no, no, what are they, ambassadors, we could say. You know, people who, who give back to the sport. And it's it's been really healthy to watch that sort of interaction. You know, Cadell's doing it now, but when he was trying to win races, he was very... Um, Aloof. Uh, aloof is an understatement. Difficult to, to you know... Comprehend. He was in his own little bubble. <laughs> um, Sorry. Uh, and, uh, uh, <laughs> don't get me started. Fellas. No, I want you to start. I want you to continue. But, but, but it's, a, it's, a different, it's a different climate these days with social media, so the writers do get a tremendous amount they of feedback from the fans. Brands, yeah. They are their own brands. They have this engagement with their audience in a way that writers of maybe Cadell's generation didn't. Mm. Cadell wasn't brought up on social media, right? It didn't exist when he was really coming through. No. But this new crop, definitely social's there and they have an understanding of how that functions and they seem to be able to, 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 to really you know, capitalize on, on using it. I mean, certainly Sagan does. Mm. Right? Mm. So, uh, look, it's good. And I suppose, you know, while the TDU may carry a whole bunch of passengers, as long as they have riders who come to Australia to get their early legs started, mm. but do engage with the cycling audience directly mm. on the ground, mm. but also on social media. I suppose that uh, that has a tremendous amount of value as well. I think that the Tour Down Under, let's be clear, was uh, established by the government to be a tourism event. And it's one, uh, I say it every year, and it has one. It does that job. It lures people into the state and it turns the town into a little cycling mecca for, for a little while and it is great fun and that's why I'll go back forever while the race is on. I've never missed a stage and I find each of them in, engaging but the racing this year left me feeling a little bit flat except for a couple of little real highlights reels. Um, so um, I'm still going to report on it in, in a positive way. I think it was great. I would love to see, a, like, I would just like to see a time trial up to Norton Summit or something like that yep. instead of... Instead of the final stage, I, I, I find that kind of a bit of a wasted day, a wasted opportunity. Um, but I can understand why they do it because it's an opportunity to bring people into a centralised location and let people see the race multiple times. Yeah, for, for some reason the final stage was actually quite good this time around um, with all those battling for time bonuses between Joe McCarthy and Nathan Haas. And... Yeah, I don't know why it was. It was one of the more interesting stages, which, um, as I think Anthony mentioned earlier, I penned a blog on the subject and suggested that perhaps you know different teams should be invited to liven up the racing a bit, um, because there were there were courses on offer which could have been raced um, hard, like mm -hmm. the Sterling, uh, those four laps around Sterling before the climb to Paracombe could have been a great stage if they'd lit it up early, gone hard over those Sterling circuits, but instead they're just riding around, having a chat in the bunch and laughing. So. Yeah, frustrating when the break is one person who's just yeah. out there just going, what the <laughs> hell have I done? Yeah. What the hell have I done? Yes. So. In, in the heat. And, 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 yeah, I mean. This is a byproduct of World Tour racing, though. Right. This, I think it's, the World Tour I would like to see in the future is just, I mean, the, the difference in, say, the top five World Tour teams versus the, the bottom five is enormous. It's cavernous. And so... What I would like to see is in World Tour races is the rule that they're using for the new World Tour races is that you've got – actually, I would like to see, yeah, just the top 10 teams uh, obliged to race and then they can just pick whoever they want from the pro Conti teams for me. And then uh, you also got um, – you know, there was – they're almost going to have reduced this, the sizes for the Grand Tours from nine riders to seven. I think that's also a good thing and – but that also has consequences on the team sizes. So you've got team sizes of around 26 to 28 riders. Yeah, but don't just lob it up in a press release mm. in November and say, by the yeah. way, we're going to do it. You've yeah. got no, people no, are planning was, their whole yeah. purchasing. Yeah. I don't uh, think they even yeah. did it in this, a press this, release. This they is, just uh, put it on their website. Yeah, <laughs> this, this, like... is, this is one, one instance where I'll give uh, 
I'll give the UCI uh, full credit for knocking that on its head. Um, as much as I, uh, I, you know, our interests lie in uh, in ASO and the Tour de France, uh, I think that that late season drop was poorly poorly thought out. I thought. Yeah. Well, and, and explain to me how the so the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race was a World Tour, but only ten World Tour teams had to ride. Is that how it worked? Uh, yeah, because it's a new event. Yeah. yeah. So any so of the existing. So it's in existing... the World Tour that it's not in. It doesn't have World Tour rules. Well, no, the World Tour teams don't have to attend. They have to be um, the event organisers have have to get. Um, I think I think it's ten ten teams, and if they don't for two years in a row, then they lose that World Tour status. Status. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's why I love this sport because it's no matter how much you follow it, it's bloody stupid. <laughs> and, and every day is a little bit different, and it gets complicated. And uh, but I, but there's a there's this element of world tourism that uh, that happens in cycling now, which is bad for the sport, which just creates incredibly negative racing if you've got an entire peloton full of world tour teams. It's mm. just bad. It's bad yeah. to watch. Yeah, I think that's why you saw the, you know, again, going back to the Sterling stage, it was a perfect stage for a, a successful breakaway. But because of the control, because they know, you know, now you get points for finishing 20th on a stage. So it's in their interest to close it down if you're not in the break. Yeah. ASO is right, but wrong. And the UCI is wrong. But right in that situation. I'm glad oh, wow. you. Could, I'm glad you could clear that up for us. Still. <laughs> That's really uh, clear. But in the end, nobody won because yeah. we still end up with an entire season of World Tour type racing and World Tour yeah. races. Um, mm. Can Can I add something just before we, no. we run out of time? Because yep. I know we're about because to... we're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. um, uh, we haven't talked too much about women's racing yet, and I want to say that Kirsten Vild and Chloe Hosking's battle during the Tour Down Under was perhaps some of the best racing I've seen um, all summer, and I've thoroughly enjoyed that. It does need that that tour down under does need to progress beyond the stage where it's um, two criteriums and two road stages. Mm. I think most of the riders were getting pretty sick of going round and round in circles by the end of that race. Um, and apart from that, though, it was really good to see the Orica um, duo of Sprat and Garfort really go and dominate um, that that early part of the season. They were really good riders out there. And it looks like Garfoot has uh, has taken a step up to being a different rider than she has been in the past. Mm. Yeah, um, she's going to have some more GC aspirations this year, so she's going to the Giro Rosa, and I think she'll go very well because we've seen a number of riders on the women's side who are strong time trialists, um, like Anna van der Breggen, Lisa Brenauer, those sort of riders transfer into you know being like some of the top people on the road stages as well so i think we'll see some very good results from her and spratty's looking the best that she has ever so so they've been liberated by it not being an olympic year yeah yeah, <sighs> yeah. and uh i, could, I, wanna... I don't want to let a podcast go by this year without bashing the olympics in some way uh, yeah we'll, we'll have okay? lots of time we'll have let's just put it behind us okay <laughs> and uh and like peter sagan i want to give uh, i want to give big thumbs up to uh, and um animic uh, van vluten who was everywhere doing everything and making herself freely available to uh, to media and really just building a bit of a focal point in terms of her personality and mm. uh, and everything when everything really is in terms of promoting women's cycling i thought she was fantastic hot stick of a dump hmm? thank you very much oh hmm. right okay yeah. yes yeah. any last words from you tammy uh, well, aren't we going to talk at all about Hinnant? So you just reckon it's a non-story, do you? Oh, I think there's actually <laughs> something in it. Okay. But, but anyway, Let's that's... Hang on, hang on. We got... Let's start got, that three-hour conversation yeah, with no, 30 got, seconds to you've go. You've got three minutes. Three minutes. Well, I, I, I won't say... It, I don't think it's completely Who made had up it? of... Who had the motor? Well, that's what Who? we don't know. Who was it? I, I just don't feel that it, it's a, it, an entire... Beat up. I think though, I don't. I wouldn't say it's prevalent though, because I guess the UCI were detect trying to detect motors in bikes, maybe well before the riders knew what they there's were doing. Too many with those people. IPads. There's too many people involved, mm. and people are too shit at telling, at keeping secrets. Basically, that's if you know what I mean. So e eventually, you, someone uh, would have. Are you saying that not one bike had a motor in it at, at all? In you know, yeah. men's pro cycling. Can, can I just make this point, right? Yeah. So we've had one person caught with a motor in a in a bike. Mm. Yeah. In yeah. a bike. Yeah. That they weren't at a cyclocross race. Yeah. A bike that they weren't using, and they didn't use in the race. Mm. Okay. Johan Bernil today. 
uh, made uh, a very good point. <laughs> Johan, I actually like Johan. What can I, I say? You know, I know there's a smell of sulfur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's yeah. a, there's a Here smell of sulfur comes. around him every time, everywhere he goes. But yeah. still, um, he made a very good point about uh, about this whole this whole thing about uh, hidden bikes. And they pulled out this Trek bike, and it was like the one one of the ones that Lance rode in the tour. And the point he made was the battery technology wasn't around in that time. It would have been too heavy. Right. So what otherwise they did, but hang on. The point was, is they fitted modern technology into an older frame, like right. new, new tech yeah. and said, here, it can be done. Mm. But in 1999, you're not going to have the battery technology to make that work. You're no. not going to have, no. you know, it's just not possible. Mm. So personally, I think they're full of shit. Really, yeah. I think that guy is full of shit. I think that yeah. it smells. It's, it's, it smells it's, wrong to me. It's only still a story now because if uh, if someone says oh, it's total bollocks, let's just move on, then everyone goes, yeah, but you said no. You, you, and the doping and doping and EPO and cycling sucks because, and everyone just gets on board to try and say, but I was the one who said there was indeed X in the peloton, motors or doping or whatever. Put and up it, or shut up. Yeah. Yeah, I think they proved that it could happen, that it has happened is a different uh, threshold of evidential proof that they didn't get to. And yeah. just because something goes on to 60 minutes doesn't mean that it's a legitimate story. Good Lord. God's sake. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's talk about lunch. Right? And, of course, we'll all eat our words <laughs> when... Yeah, we haven't you know, spent 17% uh, of our podcast talking, talking about, about lunch. lunch. Oh, can no, I just right. throw in, before we finish, I just want to apologise that this whole chat had absolutely zero direction. Zero direction. Yeah, but that's that's, that's what a podcast. That's no, what, but that's it's like you know, sometimes we sort of sort of follow some sort of rhythm. I'll, I'll yes. we I, I will everywhere. say that, that we had to tackle the entire summer of cycling. Probably um, yeah. aided that because we're jumping around from young riders to, to old riders. Let's back, do another podcast back, tomorrow. Back to Nathan Haas and the next day. Yeah. No, we will we, yeah. have more focus as we uh, as we get uh, yeah. as we go forward. Stay tuned so. as a cycling central and fill all and and fill we can in. and we can stick to our thirty minute time limit as well. Thirty so minutes. Thirty four five hundred. Right. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, okay. Thanks for having us back. You're welcome. Right. I, I know we, you know, we're pretty keen and, you know, we, we had a lot to get off our chest. So we'll just freeform it. Um, and that's going to be it for us uh, today, I think. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the tour of Amman. Ladies and gentlemen, ride your bikes. Often. Last word? Um, I'm on the spot here, so I'll say enjoy the classics when we get round to them. Oh, my God. Tanny? In February, uh, April. I th- <laughs> Bill, you said look forward to the tour, Oman. I think it's about to finish, isn't it? No, it's next week. All oh, right. It's okay. cycling, <laughs> mate. It's too confusing. And on that note, we'll call it a day.